All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 21, um, and why don't we, uh, we're going to start out by reading the first few verses here, uh, but as we've come accustomed to do, and um, exactly, there you go, Robert, let's stand to our feet, and let's read. All right, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Heavenly Father, we, as we come into this section of Scripture, Lord, this chapter in which we see the beginning of the Passion of Christ. Passion Week, as some have called it, Lord, this is also regarded as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I pray, Father, that you would open up our understanding to see those things and acknowledge and apply them to our lives that you may be glorified. The truths that you have for us today, Lord, as we learn about the things that took place a little over 2,000 years ago. Lord, this victory that we see being paraded into Jerusalem was not necessarily the entrance into Jerusalem, but the victory that was come to be known on Calvary. Lord, that we may squarely and completely put our hope in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray that we may be encouraged this morning by the things that we learn. Again, applying them to our lives, to your glory, and really to our blessing. We just give you all the praise and all the honor, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The king and priest is what we have this morning uh, in these verses that we're going to go over. Uh, we'll be covering Jesus' triumphal entry. Um, also, we'll see how it is that as Jesus goes into the, the temple, he cleanses it, and um, also the withering of the fig tree. All of those three things prior to um, Jesus being challenged one more time. And so, oftentimes, we should ask ourselves how often we have thought that God's purpose was for one thing or another. And I think oftentimes, I mean, we do come across this in our lives, that we think, we have these thoughts in our minds that God's purpose was for one thing or another in our lives only to learn that we had it all wrong and He doesn't exist for our glory. 
and to fulfill our will, but really desires to fulfill His will, and we exist for His glory. You know, that's where we have purpose, that's where we have hope, that's where we can continue to walk with great purpose in our own lives, is to come to the realization that it isn't for our glory, it's to His glory, in His glory alone. Jesus is continuing as a perfect example to live out the Father's will and in many ways uh, is communicating to everyone that He is not on earth to liberate the Jews from Roman rule, although that's exactly what they're looking to in this particular scene, or to reign as their king on earth, but to liberate them from, most importantly, sin and death and reign in their hearts and lives to the Father's glory and for the sake of eternity, their own eternity. Jesus had revealed Himself as the Good Shepherd, the door, the way, the truth, the life. And Jesus had told them what He was going to in Jerusalem. And yet they gave Him a King's grand entrance. And later, those same people, they gave Him this grand entrance into Jerusalem as King, as Messiah, Hosanna. We're encouraging and even crying out, demanding that He be sent to the cross, just as He said. The most important truth that any person could come to understand today on earth, the thing of greatest value today is not precious metals, it's not possessions, accumulation of possessions in our lives, education, a great career, a beautiful family, or even good health, a healthy bank account, easy living, on and on and on. I mean, as Peter had said, you know, these things we look forward to, and we have them as milestones, but those aren't the greatest things in our lives, and not even the greatest legacy that we can leave for our families, right? Once we come to know, we come to understand Jesus and His salvation that He offers to us. That's the greatest gift that we can leave for our children, no? The greatest gift that we can uh, point people in the direction of, that is the one thing that is most valuable and most precious in this life. It's to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. For with that personal knowledge and personal surrender to Him... You have all that matters, and you have eternal life with God. That is to also say, and I also want to say this, that as we keep our eyes fixed on Him and understand that salvation is is the, the most precious, most valuable thing this side of heaven, we also, with that understanding, make this life count the most. And all of those things that I had just mentioned, we don't neglect but we pay attention with greater purpose. Jesus continues to reveal himself for who he is. He is king. He is the king of kings. And he is the priest. He is our high priest who has all authority and demonstrates it by his entrance into Jerusalem. The praise and worship he receives, he does not neglect and he does not deny. He receives it. And the actions he takes within the temple... And the authority he demonstrates, even over the fig tree, proves that he is the Almighty. He is God Almighty, and he has authority and power over even creation, for he is the Creator. 
Let's first take a look at the king's entrance as we read these first 11 verses. Because up to this point, Jesus had already told his disciples three times, three times he had told them that he was going to Jerusalem. And he was going there for a very specific thing. In Matthew chapter 20, which we covered just a few weeks ago, verses 17 through 19 says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And I bring this up to remind you that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to, and yet he willingly and obediently continued on toward Jerusalem to fulfill perfectly the will of the Father. And he's entering the very place that he knows in which he will be tortured first, tortured, humiliated, and ultimately crucified. So, what many term as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem was not because he was given given a king's welcome and a grand entrance. In that he did. He received that. But because it was that he was entering into the week in which God would have victory over sin and death. That's really the triumphal entry. He's He's coming into the week. He's entering into that time that period, that hour of his life to which he came to fulfill the Father's will perfectly. The Son, the blood of the Lamb, would be shed for the remission of sin. He was here to take away the sin of the world. The location he came to was the Mount of Olives, which is just east of Jerusalem. In fact, this was the the skyline that dominated that side of town. Keep in mind that up to this point, Jesus had not disclosed who he was in such dramatic fashion and in such a public way. He hadn't allowed himself to be handled in the way that he was on this particular occasion. It was a special occasion. He had actually up to this point restrained any kind of popular enthusiasm. But the hour had come and it was his time and prophecy continues to be fulfilled. Even Zechariah 9.9 as we see Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey that, he, that had never been ridden. And he was being hailed as king by the people. Oh, they were crying out. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this was being fulfilled right before their eyes. In in this very moment, as these people were crying out. Jesus told his disciples to go into the town before them and bring him the donkey and her colt, just as they would find them. Again, this did occur, occur, just as Jesus had said it would occur, as this was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Now, this is not two animals that Jesus rode in, kind of awkwardly, you know, as some, sometimes uh, people would say, because of this account in Matthew, he wrote in on two. That would be 
quite difficult. Have you ever rode one horse, <laughs> let alone two at the same time, right? So we need to make sure we understand, okay, this is one animal that Jesus rode on, not two. Mark and Luke both say that the animal was very young and had never been ridden. And yet we know that this type of animal, having never been ridden, how many of you have been around horses? Yeah, a lot of you. All right. Now, if you were to go and get a yearling um, and, and go and just throw a saddle on, Number one, it would be difficult to get a saddle on, right? Let alone a bridle. And, and, and then to just jump on and ride this animal, how would that go? Not very good, right? Have you ever tried that? Um, have you guys ever, you guys ever grow up like around um, cattle and horses and all that? No? You guys are, okay, so some. So everyone else missed out big time. So when I was younger, um, I really, uh, it, it was a fun time going out to my uncle's ranch, and he had this, this bull. And this, this young, cute bull grew up to be a bigger bull, and his name was Diamante, which meant diamond, because he had this diamond on his forehead. And so th- there came a point to where he was in the pen, and uh, my cousin said, and he was really like, like kind of tame. He wasn't like very aggressive. And so my cousin told me, you know, I'm going to hop on him, crimp his tail, and, and uh, so we'll, you know, do a little rodeo here. And as soon, he, I didn't even have to crimp his tail, which I, I know it's like, wow, that's cruel. But uh, we were just kids, you know. <laughs> so he hopped on and our nice... Little bull did not want him on his back, and he bucked him off quickly. So it was fun. So I got on there, and <laughs> let's see what he does with me. <laughs> These animals, they don't like people on their backs initially. You need to, as they say, break them. You need to really train them to have some weight on their back and to be guided with a bridle and to all of those things. But yet, here we have Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, hop on this young colt that had never been ridden and simply ride into Jerusalem. It's none other than the creator of the universe. It's the one who, who created this, this beast, this animal. And he rode in on him, right into Jerusalem. That is... Something that the Lord, of course, has the authority and the power to do. Now, before we get into Jesus' actual entrance into Jerusalem and the praise he receives and welcomes, allow me to point out some important observations that I think are important for you to know about. Number one, he's going to be hailed as King and Savior and Lord, but this King will be entering in complete humility. He's coming in on a donkey, not a horse. In poverty, not affluence. With a cross before him, not a throne to occupy. These are important things. As the Jews are looking at him to to really liberate them, to bring them freedom from being oppressed by the Romans. And yet he's not coming for that. It's like, hey, listen, he's, he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. 
He's coming in on a donkey. He's coming in humble. You know, looking back, we think, wow, wonderful. This is our Lord and Savior. This is the Messiah that entered into Jerusalem. But at that point, the Jews were looking at him to be the ruler of the day, to save them from what they were experiencing, oppression at the hand of the Jew or the Romans. But he came in that fashion, humble, with a cross before him. All that we may know the riches of his love and his grace through his victory on the cross over sin and over death, being raised from the dead by the power of God. He's he's writing in for for that very thing. This is why I reminded you at the first that the most precious and valuable truth that you could come to know personally is that the most important thing to possess in this world is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so the colt was covered with a cloak and Jesus was mounted on the animal as he rode into Jerusalem and people shouted before him and after him, all around him. Tens of thousands of people were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And here comes this throng with him. And they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. How beautiful. Now, the meaning behind the laying down of the people's cloaks, and we'll separate the cloaks from the branches and all of that because I think this is important for us to understand. The cloaks themselves is to communicate the recognition of Jesus' reign as king and the people's loyalty being given to Jesus and promise of support. So they're endorsing him. They're saying he is our king. We are... We're saying with what we're doing, we are loyal to Him. We support Him. We recognize Him as such. The meaning behind the laying down of these cut branches and even the palm leaves is to communicate an acknowledgement of victory and success. That's what they uh, symbolized. In all of this, the people were hailing Jesus as Messiah. Pledging their loyalty to him and announcing him as king. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. Save now. And this was something that was addressed to kings. And they were indeed addressing it to the king. And Jesus was receiving this praise. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't denying this praise because he's God. He is worthy of receiving of really having all of this praise given to him. It's appropriate, it's fitting for the one who is Lord and can save. The people were stirred up, is what our text tells us. That's what scripture says, that the people were stirred up. But as you take a look at the original word, uh, stirred and even even other translations, it really is a a word that, that doesn't grasp the full meaning of the moment, of what was really going on. Because this word is actually applied to earthquakes and apocalyptic upheavals. Think about that. So stirred up, do you think that, I mean, the crowd was pretty stirred up. They were worked up. No, no, no. They were beyond worked up. They were like almost in a frenzy. Like, how do you act in an earthquake? An apocalyptic upheaval. You see it in the movies, but that doesn't even come close, right, to what you would actually do 
in the middle of something that is absolutely catastrophic. That's how these people were. They were wild with excitement and thrown into commotion, is what was happening here. No wonder they asked in Jerusalem, who is this? I, I think if, the, if there was more of this in the church, not like wildness, <laughs> not chaos, but more of this excitement and really passion for what the Lord is doing within the church, I think we would have more people outside going, what's going on in there? What, what is it? Who, who is this Jesus? I think there would be more of that. I think too, too many within the church are more of like, eh, you know, yeah, I'm, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to church and, you know, hey, I'm going to church. Come with me. This is what the Lord's doing in my life. You see it. Now come and experience it for yourself. Come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. or See what He's all about. See what the truth really is. No, they were, they were stirred up. They were really thrown into a commotion. And the people in Jerusalem, as they entered into Jerusalem, were asking, Who is this? Who is this? To which the crowd answered, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee? What good can come out of Galilee? Galilee. He's a Galilean? Yeah, he's, he's a Jesus of Nazareth. Of Galilee. And yes, Jesus was prophet and priest. And the people hailed him as king today. But a few days would be crying out and demanding his crucifixion. No more Hosanna, but crucify him, crucify him, is what they would be exclaiming. And Jesus knew this, for it was here, in this very place, as he overlooked Jerusalem. You guys know what it says in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. This was the time that he overlooked Jerusalem, and he wept for Jerusalem, for the judgment was coming. Imagine that, that the very people that he was dying for, the very people that had been delivered from Egyptian rule brought through the wilderness and brought into the promised land and everything that God had done for them, here they are, yes, crying, Hosanna. But in just a few days, we're going to be crying out, crucify Him, crucify Him, and He still went to the cross for them and on their behalf. But He wept. He was filled with compassion. How quickly people can go from Hosanna to crucify Him. And before you think, yeah, that's them. I mean, they, they really didn't know. I, I wonder how many times we cry out to Jesus, save us from our circumstances. And if that isn't taken care of, then we crowd in anger toward God, toward Him, waving our fist and blaming Him for everything. What kind of a God is this that allows this or allows that? What kind of a God just simply saved you? And so we ought to also look at situations like this and think, that, that could be me. That could be me. I, I'm crying out, God, save me. Save me now. And the first and foremost thing, the most precious and critical thing that we can come to know in our lives here on earth is salvation in Jesus Christ. Beyond that, what He promises is the hope of heaven with Him for all eternity. 
But he also warns us that in this life there will be tribulation. There, there will be heartache. There will be things that we experience. But don't lose heart. For he has gained victory over not only sin but also death. We will be with him in all of his glory. We too can do the very same thing. Cry out to the Lord and we, when he doesn't answer us in the way in which we want him to answer uh, us, we begin to blame him and we're, we get angry at him. But all the while, he's doing a work in our lives. He's refining and strengthening us, strengthening us. If we are to just simply cling to him and trust in him and have faith that he will see us through. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Never. And that's a wonderful promise. Do you not understand that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to be the way and the truth and the life, to secure victory over us from sin, uh, victory over us over sin and death, that we may know eternal life through Him? That's what He came to do. He, He came to go and realize victory over sin and death for us. It wasn't to deliver us from temporal earthly oppression, but from an eternal condemnation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is truly the most precious and valuable thing you could receive on this earth. But then we see the priest's rebuke in verses 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. A priestly rebuke is what we have here. We have the king's entrance and the priest's rebuke. Who would have thought that the Messiah, having just entered the city in the manner in which he did, would now be in the temple wreaking havoc on the sacrificial and worship center of Jerusalem. Please note that Jesus drove out all who bought and sold in the temple. It was those who were participating in the whole merchandising within the temple. Everyone out. These people, I mean, if you think about it, Tens of thousands of people are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And these vendors would come in, they would set up, and and it could take up to, could be two, three, one, two, three weeks to set up for this whole event. And here comes Jesus. And in a moment, he overturned tables rebuked the merchants that were in the court of the Gentiles and basically threw everyone out. Now, this was more of an acted out parable than that fulfilled prophecy. 
Because it wasn't like he came back and he continued down this, this path. Uh, it wasn't um, temple reform that he was after. But it was a fulfillment of prophecy. This did point out that the way they conducted business was not in line with the manner in which God desired for the celebration to be observed. And, and I started to think about that, how it is that there are moments in our own lives to where He can overturn tables. He can bring things to our attention. And it's not that He Himself will insist on a reformed heart, uh, a heart that comes to repentance over and over, but make it abundantly clear to us in that moment that the manner in which we're conducting our lives is not in line with His will. And he'll, he'll leave us alone. It's one of those things to where He'll come in, overturn the tables, and then continue on. Right? And we need to pay attention to those times. So those times when, those moments, it's like these, these, uh, these bow shots, you know, these warnings, to where it's like, hey, just want to warn you, you're going down the wrong path. This is not in line with my will. You need to change course and walk away. Now, for this moment, again, like I said, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 21, it says, and every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be, the, be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the, of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. So the house of the Lord was not for merchants and to behave like the world, because even that word in Zechariah 14.21, which is translated traitor, can also be inserted as Canaanite. So that which they are focused in on, that which they are a part of, that's what's normal for them, shouldn't be normal in a part of your everyday life. That's, that's not what you focus on. It shouldn't be a part of the house of the Lord. And so the house of the Lord was not for merchants and to behave like the world that goes after earthly riches, but for the purpose of prayer. To meet with God, and it was to be for all nations, including Gentiles. And again, where, where were these, uh, these tables, these merchants set up, these vendors? They were set up in the court of the Gentiles. Now, can you imagine all this commotion, all these vendors filling up the court of the Gentiles? Where is it that the Gentiles were allowed to come into, and where would they pray and seek the Lord? Can you imagine this being turned into a place of commerce, like a farmer's market? Right? And, and this is the only place we can come in and worship the Lord and seek the Lord and, and just pray and and yet, it's so busy. It's so loud. It's like, what is this? Is this is a store? It's not. It's not a house of prayer. Exactly. Now you're getting it. It's so busy, so loud that you you can't you can't focus. You, th this is not a place given over to glorify the Lord and give Him His praise and and pray to Him. It, it's it's not. It can't be. 
the ongoing business was taking place in the court of the Gentiles, which would make it impossible for the Gentiles to come to the temple and actually pray. Impossible. And so Jesus rebukes them, saying, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And Jesus is referring to Isaiah 56, 7, but they are robbing the people of more, more than their money. They're cheating them on the exchange of currency and the inflated costs of sacrificial animals. But they are robbing them of truly meeting with God as they are falsely representing Him and making a mockery of the very place God had actually set aside for all to come and worship and meet with Him. And I pray that fellowships, churches, don't do the same today. May we as God's people not make church some kind of club or farmer's market or whatever you want to call it that's full of merchandise. But I pray we're always fighting to keep it as it was intended to be by the Lord. A place where the worship of God is practiced and fellowship is centered in Christ and people are appointed to the Lord, referred to Him, a house of prayer. It's interesting to me that Jesus drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple, but who came in after them? The lame and the blind. Those who actually really needed to be ministered to. And Jesus healed them. The lame and the blind were were ministered to. Merchants out. Those who actually needed some healing and the Lord to, to meet them, they came right in. It seems this act of Jesus made it possible for those in true need to come to be ministered to, and they were. But of course, as soon as the religious leaders saw what Jesus had done, it didn't take long for them to come around, right? Oh, the miraculous works of healing, and they heard the children crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And by naturally, these religious leaders were indignant. They wanted to protect what they had built. And they were indignant. Their money-making schemes didn't bother them, but giving Jesus His due praise and worship did. We know that the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all came to hate Jesus. They challenged Him at every opportunity, but could not find any fault in Him. They always walked away, defeated. If they would just acknowledge, you know, who they were dealing with. It's like, go ahead and battle with God. You won't win, right? Just ask Him. Even now they question Jesus asking Him if He wasn't hearing the praise and worship that the children are giving Him. Do you not hear? They say, do you, do you hear what these are saying? And then Jesus replied to them, Yes, have you never read? Right? I I love that. It's a a good, good way to respond to someone. And that is with Scripture. He replied by referring to Psalm 8 too. 
and then walked away. He said, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. The young will praise God. In other words, yes, I hear it, and it is appropriate and fitting, and is according to Scripture. It's like as if, you know, Jesus on many occasions, he would give an answer, and, and there, was, there was no re- after that, I mean, what, what are you going to say to that? Right? I think that's the way we should really come to the Lord. Really seeking an answer. And when we get the answer from Scripture, we should simply say, Amen. <laughs> I, I agree. You are God, I am not. Thank you for answering me. Jesus had just cleansed the temple of what it should not have within it. And then welcomed those who were in need and ministered to them. I I pray that that would be the constant thing continuously happening in churches to where we also, we ask the Lord, reveal anything that is not of you within the church. I always pray, and please pray, that the leadership of the church would have wisdom and discernment in those matters. Right? Because sometimes we can come across certain things, we can go down a certain path and like, eh, that's more of a distraction than it is really uh, pointing people to Christ and helping them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, helping them to mature in Christ and all of that, to all of that. And so we should be able to, at that point, say, no, nah, you know what, that's out. Let's go in this other direction. And do that which pleases the Lord and blesses His people, benefits His people the most. Again, Jesus had just cleansed the temple of what it should not have within it, and then welcomed those who were in need and ministered to them. And it was in that place that He also received praise and worship, which was also the appropriate and fitting thing to take place in the house of prayer. I love it. These kids are praying. They're crying out. It's interesting. As we know, our kids are in the children's ministry, learning of Jesus. Uh, To them, it's not until later on that they start really getting challenged. Right? But at that age, oh man, they're, they're singing His praises. And it's appropriate and fitting to be raised in the ways of the Lord. That they would not deviate from that when they get older, you know? That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful, wonderful, glorifying foundation that we can lay for our kids and set them upon. And then we have the Creator's desire. In these final verses that we're covering this morning. Verse 18 says, In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, "Uh, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So, we've seen the king's entrance, the priest's rebuke, and now the creator's desire. 
This last point is simple, but a profound one at that. And I believe in a very important for us, one for us to learn, understand, and apply in our lives. Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. And therefore we see here that he became hungry. And so he saw this fig tree. He went up to it and found no fruit on it. It was barren. It had leaves. If a fig tree has leaves, it should have fruit. Uh, So he saw leaves, it should have fruit. Where's the fruit? It didn't have fruit. He didn't find any on it. And so Jesus cursed the tree and it withered away. Now, for you and I, I think we would do the same thing as the the disciples did. We would marvel. How how did he do this? This is amazing, right? It truly is amazing. Can you imagine seeing, seeing Jesus come to this fig tree, find nothing on it, speak to it, and it withers away? We'd be marveling as well. This gave Jesus the opportunity to tell his disciples about praying with faith. Knowing that with God all things are truly possible. Because the question that we need to ask ourselves, what is it truly, what what is it that God cannot do? Is there anything he can't do? I know normally we have in a group like this, someone who's very smart and will say he cannot lie. I was waiting for that. Nobody said. (laughs) You thought it. I knew it. Yeah. Someone. No, but what is it that he can't do? And we know what we're talking about, right? There's, There's nothing that he can't do. Nothing's impossible for God. Again, this was an opportunity for Jesus to continue to train up his disciples, to teach them. And he took full advantage of it. Yes, our desire is for God's will to be done, but what makes you think that God doesn't desire to demonstrate the impossible to increase your faith? And for you to know that He is at work in all things, and all things are possible for Him. I, I, I have seen how it is that He does things that, it's like, wow, that, that is truly amazing, that's miraculous. We know that it is only you that is able to do something like that? And what does it do to your faith? Doesn't it increase your faith? Like, oh, man, if he can do that. And it's funny because we say, if he can do that, maybe he can do this. And maybe he can do that. Like, well, ask. Go ahead, keep going in that direction. Keep asking, though. Don't doubt. And that's what he was telling them. Hey, listen, when you come, when you approach me, Don't ask doubting and being anxious, worrying about it. Just ask. Leave it in my hands. Know that all things are possible with me. He desires that we trust in Him like a child trusts a parent for everything. Clings to them for everything. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58 says, And He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So, It's because of our own belief that he perhaps doesn't do many things that he desires to do and reveal to us. But maybe with a little bit of, you know, belief, expressed faith in him, he will reveal other things to us that 
he desires for us to see. Do you think there's a possibility that sometimes we do not experience more of God's mighty works because of our unbelief? I think so. What are we asking for? If it's true for them, then it's true for us now. Now, this is the beginning of Passion Week. Does that make sense? Like these mountains that, you know, hey, move them, cast them into the sea. These are a mountain... For that to happen would be crazy, right? That, that is amazing. But some of these things that we have before us, these circumstances that we find ourselves in, they're just like that mountain. And we ask the Lord, Oh Lord, cast it into the ocean, please. Help me through this. Lighten my burden. My, the weight that I, I'm feeling is just overwhelming. And he tells us, cast all your burdens on, on me for... For I care for you. He cares for you. Christ cares for you. We're not, we're, not, we're not animals of burden. We're his creations in Christ. We are image bearers of God. And, and he doesn't want us to carry those things. He, want us, he wants us in faith to ask him to take those burdens. And he will. He will. He will give you that peace which surpasses all understanding. I know many of you here are dealing with with difficult issues, heavy burdens. And I want to tell you, the Lord says, cast all your cares upon Him. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Anything means anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the beginning of Passion Week for Jesus. He's now in the last days of his life, and the day is quickly approaching in which he will be crucified for you and I. For the sins of the world, but three days later he rose from the grave in victory over not only sin on the cross, but death from the grave. And in him we too can know victory over sin and death. I pray that you... If, if nothing at all, that you walk away knowing that this morning. In Christ, we can know forgiveness of sins by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who died on my behalf, and three days later, rose from the grave. You, through Him, and your trust in Him, can know salvation. And I pray that you would know that this morning, if you don't already. And that you would be encouraged to walk a holy life if you have already come to know salvation. We have the king's entrance, the priest's rebuke, and the creator's desire that we would be a people of faith, hailing Jesus as Lord, guarding our fellowship from becoming anything other than a house of prayer, and exercising our belief that with God, all things are possible, and they truly are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And I do pray for all of us here, Lord, that we would be encouraged to continue to praise you as Lord, as Savior, Father, as one who has come to save us. And I pray for anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that uh, they would come to surrender their lives to you. And know that the old has passed away, the new has come that their desire is changed from those things of the world to the things that please and glorify you. 
knowing that the hope that lies before us is the hope of eternal life with you. We thank you, Lord, that all things are possible with you. And Lord, that you are with us and desire to reveal to us things that would increase our faith and only serve to strengthen us, blessing you and glorifying you in and through our lives. And so it is with that that we cry out to you with grateful hearts, thankful for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.